Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Crowd Noise Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Martinez. A Friday edition of the Crowd Noise Podcast, Friday, July 19th, 2019. The next Friday edition of the Crowd Noise Podcast will come in just six short weeks. And the reason for that being, in six short weeks, it will be the one-year anniversary of the Crowd Noise Podcast. I mean, where has the time gone? It really has gone by in a flash. And I'm not even giving my one-year anniversary speech just yet. We got six weeks to go. But my goodness, it it really has gone by incredibly fast. To say we're only six weeks out of a a full year, it's unbelievable. That would be our 52nd episode, right? I mean, do one one a week. We haven't skipped a week, so that would be episode number 52. So uh, looking forward to that. That will be the next... uh, Friday edition of the Crowd Noise Podcast. We have that to look forward to. And I'm doing some promo right now, currently for you know six weeks in advance, like I normally do. Um, that will be our college football preview episode, I guess. The college football season officially opens on August 31st. It technically starts on August 24th, the week before, but those are the teams like, Missouri Valley Dance and Technical School playing, you know, Idaho State Dance and Technical School. So the, we, don't, we don't care about those. The official college football season starts on the 31st. So we will have our one-year anniversary episode slash college football preview on August 30th. And the NFL preview should be around that time as well. I have not. I know the NFL starts in NFL season starts in under fifty days now, like forty something days. So a little bit, just under two months away from that. So we'll have our college football preview, then we'll have our NFL preview. We'll be picking conference winners, playoff teams, national champion for the NFL. Same thing. We'll pick our division winners. We'll pick um, playoff teams, obviously, and uh, Super Bowl champ, like we do every single year. At the beginning of the season. So we have that to look forward to over the course of the next six weeks. Uh, but for now, in the meantime, we have a show today. We got plenty of stuff to not even to look forward to. We're getting into plenty of stuff right now. We do have some college football uh, quote-unquote news, if you want to use that term. Though I would not consider it news, but we got to fill out the show with something. So um, we're putting it up at the top of the show. So it is skippable. I am putting this intentionally, these these two college football non-stories at the beginning of the episode so you are um, encouraged to skip them. It's easier to skip something at the top than it is to skip something like in the middle because you don't know really when it ends if it's directly in the middle. And then if you're skipping the quote of the week, then you're just you're not listening because that's always at the end. That's the tail end of the show anyway, so, so don't skip that. But we're putting the college football news at the top of the show, so you can skip it or listen to it. I'd appreciate it if you listen to it, but you are more than welcome to skip it because it is really not lead-off news story worthy. It's, it's truly not, but we're putting it at the top so you have the option to skip it. Uh, Texas Longhorns are increasingly sensitive and irritating me um, as a college football fan. Texas football is becoming increasingly irritating uh sec media day was this week uh so all the sec teams all the players coaches 
participated. You know, I, I like the media dates. They don't mean much. They, they really don't. But I do enjoy media days for all conferences. I really do because it's kind of the appetizer for it's the soup slash salad for the college football season. It comes ju- I mean, they do it in two peak interest, I guess, for lack of a better term, for the upcoming college football season. Um, kind of refresh your memory. These guys are coming back. This guy left. These are the incoming freshmen, this, that, and the other. Uh, new coaching hires because, I mean, in college football specifically, it's the truest definition of a coaching carousel. There's guys moving in and out every single year. So uh, I love media dates. Lot, lots of fun. Uh, Tua Togavailoa, quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide, um, had some comments about getting a throttled in the national championship game this previous season that I thought were pretty interesting. So we'll go ahead and get into that. Following that, quite possibly, and I do emphasize possibly, because we don't know what news lies ahead over the course of these next six weeks leading up to officially football season. But this is quite possibly the last NBA story for the 2018-2019 NBA season. We do have a basketball segment in the middle of the show. It is my way too early NBA power rankings for the 2019-2020 NBA basketball season. Now that the dust has settled and all the free agents, the marquee ones, I mean, J.R. Smith signed with the Bucks yesterday, or was it two days ago? I'm not even sure. That is not even, that could, nothing could be further from a marquee free agent than J.R. Smith. So now that the teams are more, more or less set, the Lakers, I believe, still have one spot left potentially for a Kyle Korver. Or, you know, it won't, this isn't going to tip the scale. No, no, any players after today are not going to completely change the power rankings that I have um, for the middle of the show. So we will have uh, the crowd noise way too early power rankings for 2019, 2020. I'll be giving you the top 10 teams. Not doing all 30. Um, Not wasting my time, nor yours, which is arguably more valuable than my time. So we are only doing the top 10 teams uh, or top 10 power ranking teams, I guess you should emphasize. Um, And you may be surprised. There will be one glaring team that is missing from the top 10. And uh, I don't feel too guilty about it, quite honestly. I feel like they do not deserve to be in the top 10 currently, just outside the top 10. Maybe 11, 12, 13, they would absolutely not fall out of the top 15, but they're not in my top 10. We will get to that a little bit later in the show. And to close out, the way we always do to end the Crowd Noise Podcast, we have the quote of the week, and uh, we got a good one. So let's go ahead and get right into it. College football. Cannot wait... I love college sports in general. College football is fantastic. College basketball, you know how much I love that. It's the tradition. It's the pageantry. It's the rivalries, the passion, the love of the game. Um, and now I just sound like the NCAA um, director, like, um, you know, just vouching for the passion of the game more over them than actually paying players, which is not what we're getting into today because uh, that's a story. You know, and, you know, that's a whole crowd noise episode by itself, and we're, we're, we're just not opening up that can of worms. Um, but I'm excited for the college football season. So this story was 
extra infuriating. This story is indescribably irritating and quite frankly stupid. But it is so irritating and stupid that it cannot go unnoticed. And it is the horns down controversy with the Texas Longhorns. That just Okay, we'll get into that in just a second. I was getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let me set up the story. So last year, well, actually two years ago, Baker Mayfield, it's been actually, this is the horns up thing. They're the Texas Longhorns hand sign. Every team in the Big 12 has a hand sign. They do a little like symbol with a hand or whatever to represent their school. And it's not just the Big 12, but the Big 12 specifically. Every school in the Big 12 has a hand sign. There are other schools around the country who have hand signs as well. USC having the V for victory, Arizona having the bear down, wildcat, bear claw, whatever you want to call it. It's uh, pretty standard in college football. Florida State, I don't even know if you can consider it a hand sign, but they do the tomahawk chop. Fantastic uh, fan atmosphere. The Texas Longhorns have, it's kind of like the, the rock out uh, symbol. If you don't, uh, you, you should know, but in case you don't, it's like the rock, the, the rock and roll symbol but you put your thumb down so it's like there's you just have your index finger and your pinky looks like longhorns um i am a psychology major um so they've been doing that for years they've been doing that for decades upon decades texas longhorns it makes sense it's one of the better hand signs in college football if i'm being honest and for decades upon decades teams in the big 12 have been doing horns down so they do the texas longhorn sign and then they just point it down so it looks like it's just horns down that's it. It's do the horns, long horns, and then they put it down. And Baker Mayfield, two years ago, Heisman Trophy winner, dynamic college player, now a dynamic NFL player, took it to a new level, kind of reinvigorated the Red River rivalry, ushered in a new era, Lincoln Riley, Tom Herman. Uh, you know, there's a lot of both of the teams are, you know, really competitors to make the playoff now, so... There's even more emotion in these games, um, being Oklahoma and Texas. And so last year, they banned the use of the horns down symbol by any team, including the Texas Longhorns, but they would not do horns down to themselves. But the Texas Longhorns are included in the Big 12, so this rule technically applies to them as well. Um, It was a penalty flag last season. If you did the horns down, it was a flag. I think it was like 15 yards or something like that, an unsportsmanlike conduct. Um, and then they revised it this year. They actually said, that's too far. Let's, kind of, let's lighten up a little bit, um, said the Big 12 Conference Committee. And now you are allowed to do the horns down so long as it is not excessive and it is not directed at a Texas Longhorns player. And that news infuriated me. I mean, it it just drove me through the roof. This is absolutely stupid. This is one of the dumbest things we're going to talk about on the Crowd Noise podcast, maybe ever, because this is absolutely nothing. Texas Longhorn football, a staple in college football, is undescribably sensitive. Something that I thought I would never say. Texas Longhorn football is sensitive and pouty 
and conceded. Why? I don't understand how this is even offensive, how this is derogatory. I don't understand how this is taunting or unsportsmanlike for any other school to do the horns down sign or, or chant or whatever. I don't understand how this affects the game. I don't understand how this is offensive. Um, it doesn't disturb. It does not disturb the game. It is not offensive to Texas Longhorn players, nor fans, nor um, students, nor coaches, nor staff of the school. This is absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that they made it legal, quote unquote legal now is maybe even more insulting. The fact that they they give you a pass with conditions. You're not allowed to hold it for more than ten seconds. If you, they put they start clocking you they're going to start a timer if you do the horns down and you go past 10 seconds it's a 15 yard penalty it's that's not actually true I'm, I'm exaggerating of course but it's absolutely ridiculous why this is even a story tom herman and the rest of uni- the university of texas at austin should be ashamed of themselves this is absolutely stupid this is coming from a school who has been the school the program in an entire conference The Texas Longhorns are the program in the Big 12. It hasn't been like that in years past. But historically, UT Austin is the program in the Big 12. The same way USC football is the program in the Pac-12. The same way, historically, Miami is the program in the ACC. The same way, historically, Alabama is the program in the SEC. Is this not beneath you? You're really going to stoop down to this level? Are you too? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe Texas Longhorn football is too high and mighty to even tolerate any sort of shenanigans from any from any program in the Big Twelve. And I am incredibly disappointed because, as many of you know, I was one year ahead of schedule. I picked the Texas Longhorns to go to the college football playoff last year, and many people said I was a buffoon. It was one of the very early, if not one of the first episodes of the crowd noise podcast i kind of just threw texas into the playoff and they damn near made a run at it they almost got in and they destroyed georgia in the cotton bowl it was a shellacking they dominated georgia wire to wire and texas is a very popular pick to make the college football playoff this year but hearing stories like this hearing the nonsense of should horns down be legal is it offensive it is is it unsportsmanlike hearing sam ellinger engage with terry bradshaw and baker mayfield on the terry bradshaw and baker mayfield both have criticized sam ellinger and sam ellinger has responded as well in the media when you're focused on all these little non-stories these ridiculous headlines That makes me the opposite of confident in you making the college football playoff, especially in the Big 12 Conference. Now, the Big 12 Conference is not the SEC West by any stretch of the imagination, but you do have the Oklahoma Sooners in that conference who are not to be taken lightly. It actually should just be considered to be the favorite to win the Big 12 anyway. They've gone to two straight playoffs. They now bring in Jalen Hurts, who has national championship pedigree on his resume. Coming from Alabama, Lincoln Riley has a chance now to get three straight Heisman Trophy winners. And we're worried about 
what the fans are doing. This is absolutely ridiculous. Texas football should be ashamed of themselves. This is absolute. I mean, this is the opposite of what you think of when you think Longhorn football. Distractions, sensitivity. It's 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 really disgusting. It really dampened my excitement for the college football season. It did not take away. It did not ruin my my excitement for the college football season entirely because Texas football does not mean that much to me to ruin my entire experience, but it did put a very sour taste in my mouth because I knew this was something that had to be addressed. And we addressed it. There it is. There's the elephant in the room. This is stupid. It's sensitive, and it is a waste of time. So here is our second college football story, which is not a waste of time. Thank goodness. We actually have a story that might mean something here. SEC Media Day was this week, and Tua Togavailoa, when asked about the national championship and how he was responding from that all-time beatdown from the Clemson Tigers and Trevor Lawrence, had some pretty interesting answers. And they were interesting because they were unexpected, I would say. I would feel that they were somewhat unexpected the way he answered. He said, that huge blowout defeat that they suffered on national television was a good thing. He learned a lot. One of the main lessons he took from that is to not look at the scoreboard. Doesn't matter how much you're up or down by, one play and what touchdown is not one play and what touch, one touchdown is not going to change the atmosphere of the game, the momentum. Unless it of course it is a three point game, but what he took away from that is that one play, one drive is not going to change the game. Do not look at the scoreboard. That's one of the biggest lessons he took away from that game, as he said on the SEC Media Day. And this is one of the scariest words in sports that I'm about to say right now. Get ready. Alabama has a chip on their shoulder. As dynastic as the Alabama Crimson Tide have been under Nick Saban, they have a chip on their shoulder. They are actually the underdogs this year. The Clemson Tigers are and should be favorites to win the national title this year. They did lose majority of their defensive line in the NFL draft, all going to the first round. But when you're a big school like that and you've had success uh, over the recent years, it's easier to rebuild and reload in college. It's hard to get programs to stop. It's hard to stop programs once they get things going. It's the opposite of pro sports. In pro sports, if you're tanking or you're struggling, you, you have a higher pick in the draft and you have a better chance of landing a young superstar who can carry your franchise for years to come. In college, it's the exact opposite. The better you're doing, the better things are going to get because of recruiting. The worse you're doing, the worse things are going to get because your recruiting is going to suffer and therefore your team is just going to get even worse than what it was in the first place. So the Clemson Tigers, I have no doubts, will be back in the college football playoff and really back in the national title. Alabama was embarrassed on national television. And they are not the favorites to win the national title. And it's a debate if they are even the favorites. Well, they are the favorites, but it is a debate if they are even going to win the SEC this year. The SEC is very competitive. You have LSU, Georgia, Auburn. It's murderer's row in the SEC. 
And for Tua Togobailoa to say he's learned a lot and he was happy, they got blown, not happy that he wanted to lose, but happy that he learned the lessons that he did. He took away. Do not look at the scoreboard. Do not get down. Nothing. Do not take anything for granted. Do I think Alabama was a better team than Clemson last year? Yes, I do. And I do think they took Clemson lightly. And I do think they, had, they took their success for granted. Just them being Alabama was enough. And it wasn't. So for Tua Togobailoa to say it was a good thing that they got beaten the way they got beaten on national television is a very scary quote for the rest of college football. Now on to the NBA, where offic- the season is officially over. Well, it's techn- here's my, I have different definitions of when the season ends. The season does not end when the finals are over. It's not even, that's not even almost the case. The season ends when free agency ends. So officially, the NBA season has come to a close. It's now over. And with that, what do we do in sports broadcasting? We look to the future. We project. We start predicting things. We bring out our crystal balls, and we start talking about what's going to happen next. We very rarely talk about what's happened, and we talk about what's going to happen. So I have for you today. My way too early, because it is July 19th, 2019, NBA Power Rankings for the 2019-2020 NBA season, which starts roughly in October, and it's July now. I am currently sweating. We're talking about basketball in the fall, in the summer. Way too early Power Rankings, but we're going to do it, because now that the dust has settled, We have not only a good idea of what teams are going to look like, we know what they're going to look like as far as their roster. Now, teams may surprise us. They may um, be better. Some teams may be worse. Disappointments. Of course, that's going to happen. At the top, however, I don't foresee any surprises. I don't think anyone in the top three, four, or five is going to implode. Actually, if any team is going to implode, it's going to be the Los Angeles Lakers, only because it's a LeBron James team that's entirely brand new. They're only returning two players from last year, LeBron and Kyle Kuzma. Everyone else on the team is brand Oh, excuse me, that's a lie. Uh, LeBron, Kyle Kuzma, Rajon Rondo, JaVale McGee. So four players, actually. The rest of the team is brand new. They have to work out all that chemistry. So it's almost expected that they're going to struggle because it's a, brand- it's a team that's- that hasn't played together ever. So that's... Expected. I do expect the Lakers to drop off and struggle out of the gates, but that's not because I'm sleeping or I'm a LeBron hater or this, that, and the other. It's only because it's a brand new team. They're going to have to work out the kinks. So other than that, I do expect all these teams to basically be what they think we will be. So here we go. I'm going to count down, or what should I do? You guys tell me. Should I go from 1 to 10 or 10 to 1? Let's go 10 to 1. Let's do that first. I guess it's more interesting that way. Number 10, the Brooklyn Nets. Now, a lot of people aren't really giving the Brooklyn Nets a whole lot of credit because they do have to wait a year until their free agency um, signings truly kick in because Kevin Durant will not play for this entire season. It's out of the question, even if they make the playoffs. And just for the sake of the argument, if they played all the way into June in the finals, I doubt he would be available to play um, in, in said finals. They're not going to, but just I'm just painting a picture here for you. 
Um, they're going to be good. The Brooklyn Nets are going to be very good, especially in the Eastern Conference, especially with the Toronto Raptors now dropping in uh, the Eastern Conference hierarchy. They're not going to be as good as the Toronto Raptors, so there's a slot in the East, and the Brooklyn Nets, conversely, are going to be better because they added Kyrie Irving and they added DeAndre Jordan while keeping their young core, which I, I am infatuated with. I love the Brooklyn Nets core. Um, their, their young core of players. They made the playoffs last year with D'Angelo Russell and Jared Allen, and I'd be willing to argue that Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan are both upgrades from both of those players, and yet they were still able to keep Jared Allen anyway. So they have they retain that flexibility while adding superstar talent in both Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan. Now, a lot of people, while they are, why they are writing off the Brooklyn Nets are because of Kyrie Irving and his, I guess, inability to lead a team and lead a locker room this previous season. Look, he chose Brooklyn. Now, the Boston Celtics are a very good team and a very well-run organization, but he did not choose to go there. He was lucky enough to go to Boston instead of going somewhere like Memphis or Charlotte or somewhere really terrible. He still got to play postseason basketball and be on a relevant team, but he did not choose the, the team uh, he did not choose the players on that team. He did not choose that front office. He was brought in via trade from the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I don't think it's going to be as big of a concern this season. Will they have to reel him in? Yes. But you do have these problems with superstars all over the NBA. You think LeBron is easy to play with? Absolutely not. You think Kobe Bryant was easy to play with? Michael Jordan, was he always in a fantastic mood? No. Now, is Kyrie even on the same tier as Michael Jordan, LeBron, and Kobe? No. But... The point I'm trying to make is superstars aren't always easy to work with. You think, look what's happened with Chris Paul and James Harden. That whole relationship exploded over the course of a season. So it's not easy to work with superstars in any case. But I do think going to Brooklyn, which already has very positive chemistry in the locker room, is a just another plus for Kyrie Irving. DeAndre Jordan finally gets a stable environment where he knows he's going to play, at least for the, the near future. I like the Brooklyn Nets. They're at number 10. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, they're at number 10. They're not in the upper echelon of the East, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, but they are right behind those two those two teams. I put them as the third best team in the East. Number nine, the Houston Rockets. Uh, a, an extreme disappointment this year for Houston. They had their opportunity. Golden State was hobbled again, and Houston was at full strength. And this year, they did not even, they took a step backwards. They did not even get to the conference finals. They got to the conference semis. And we're, we're uh, embarrassed. The Golden State Warriors were not fully healthy. The Rockets were fully healthy and weren't able to finish the job and ultimately accomplish their goal of winning an NBA title. Now, why are they so low at number nine? Number nine, I mean, in the top 10 in the league, but number nine seems kind of low. I, for one, am not even almost sold on Russell Westbrook fitting with James Harden. I'm not. Um, and I get it. I know what you're saying. What about when they played in Oklahoma City? Oh, yeah, what about that, huh? James Harden was coming off the bench. He wasn't even a starter in Oklahoma City. He was coming off the bench for Tabo Cephalosha, meaning he did not have to truly coexist with Russell Westbrook as a number one option on offense. Both of those players, because during that time, Kevin Durant was on the Oklahoma City Thunder as well. He was the number one option on offense. Kevin, or First, James Harden goes. Kevin Durant's still the number one 
There's now a 50-50 share with Russell Westbrook, James, uh, excuse me, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant leaves. That does not work. Now Russell Westbrook is the number one option on office. offense, becomes the triple-double king that we all know today. James Harden becomes the MVP, maybe the most dangerous isolation player in basketball today. These two versions of Russell Westbrook and James Harden have never played together. Can they learn to coexist? These are the two most ball-dominant players in basketball, and that's not an exaggeration. They rank one and two in time spent with the ball in the league. Can they learn to coexist? I am not sold in the least bit. Will they win games? Absolutely, because they still have the, they're still a very good team. They still have the foundation of a good team. Will this work in the playoffs, in the finals? No. I, no, this is not, not going to work. Is it going to be exciting? Maybe not even that. I don't understand how the ball is going to move. I, it's it's going to be tough for Mike D'Antoni to kind of reel in Russell Westbrook, I feel. Um, I, don't, I don't see this working in, in the grand scheme of things as far as winning an NBA title. Will they win games in the regular season? Yes. Will they be a good team uh, in the West? Yes. I have them at number nine. I think they'll be better than the Nets, but I don't think they are legitimate title contenders. I don't take them seriously as far as winning the championship this year. I have them at number nine. Number eight, the Boston Celtics. Now, they, I feel, are a better team than the uh, Houston Rockets. I feel like they are a deeper team um, than Houston. I did not have them, um, or I had them over the Brooklyn Nets only because of their playoff experience um, and of who they added. They added Kemba Walker, who has come from a terrible situation and now a good situation. A lot of times that could really force players to blossom and really unlock their full potential. It's really discouraging when you're playing 41 games or 41 nights a year in Charlotte, which sells like 500 tickets a game, and you're losing by 40 points on your home court. It's incredibly discouraging. Now he goes to functional Boston, the tradition, you're playing with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, Gordon Hayward. Uh, you still get, uh, excuse me, uh, Brad Stevens. I'm going to say Danny Ainge. Well, you do get Danny Ainge, but he's not the coach. You get Brad Stevens, one of the best offensive minds in the game. I feel like Kemba Walker will fit more in Brad Stevens' quote-unquote system. I'm not calling Kemba Walker a system point guard, um, but I do think he is more willing to be reeled in than possibly uh, Kyrie Irving was, and it showed uh, in the NCAA for for Kemba Walker won a national title. And usually, those players um, who are better in college are more inclined to play in, in a system in the NBA because they're more used to structure, they're more used to being coached. I think the Boston Celtics are going to be very dangerous. They do lose Al Horford and Kyrie Irving, but I do like uh, Ennis Cantor a lot. He does not have anywhere near the defensive prowess of Al Horford, but he can score can Enos Cantor and Kemba Walker maybe one step down from Kyrie Irving. And I do think that's an addition by subtraction only because now you're going to have the chemistry. Jason Tatum should have a much better year. Jalen Brown should have a much better year. So I do think the Boston Celtics are a more sound team than the Brooklyn Nets. I will put them there at number eight. Number seven, the Portland Trailblazers. I'm not counting out Damian Lillard. Here's what's tough. Do I think the Portland Trailblazers will compete to win the Western Conference? No, not really. Because you have the Clippers, you have the Lakers, you have 
even the Rockets, who they'll probably see, uh, they'll probably see in the postseason. And you have the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. It's just so crowded, and I, I don't think Portland added enough to put them over Denver and Utah and LA squared. For me personally, I just don't see that. Now they're still a very good team, and they're they're one of the best regular season teams in the NBA over the past three or four years. Consistently top three, four seeds in the West, which says a lot. I do think the Portland Trailblazers, again, obviously they're going to make the playoffs, but I do think they'll be around number three, four seed just because they win games in the regular season. And as I said before, the Lakers will lose games. They'll drop down to like a four, five, six, um, only because they're going to, they're going to lose games early on. Uh, Portland is consistent. Uh, Damian Lillard has been durable throughout his career. Um, CJ McCall, I do think uh, they get back use of Nurkic, uh, this year, I do think Portland will be respectable, but I do not. I do not consider them a true contender to win the Western Conference and go to the NBA Finals. A lot would have to happen for them uh, to get that far, and especially if they what if they draw the Lakers? It, it could be like a four and five, or is a four and six, a five and six? Excuse me, uh, matchup. In the West, first round, you run into LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like the, the Portland Trailblazers have have gotten a few really bad draws these past few years as far as the seeding. Uh, last year, they actually got pretty lucky. They went all the way down to the Western Conference Finals, and they, they just didn't stand a chance against Golden State. But I don't I don't consider them as a legitimate threat to win the West. Me personally, which kind of hurts because I'm such a big fan of Damian Lillard, and it's like I feel like I'm selling out on him a little bit. But that's that's just my opinion. I do think they will get into the playoffs clearly I mean that goes without saying I don't know how far they will go in said playoffs now number six the Utah Jazz now the Utah Utah Jazz are the wor- the NBA's worst kept secret they're everyone's quote-unquote sleeper pick now the definition of a sleeper pick is no one knows about that team no one's picking them so the Utah the Utah Jazz are not a sleeper team let me tell you right now there's no consensus Sleeper, and I think I said that when I was picking uh, March Madness games and I was doing the the bracket palooza thing, whatever. There's no consensus upset. There's no consensus sleeper because at that point it's not a sleeper and it's not an upset because everyone's picking it. So the Utah Jazz just deserve your respect. They are a very good team. They're going to be very dangerous in the playoffs. They have plenty of postseason experience, by the way. Do the Utah Jazz? They add Bojan Bogdanovic to an already solid team with Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, one of my favorite players, and Rudy Gobert. Uh, you know, one of the top two, three uh, rim defenders, rim protectors in all of basketball. They are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the NBA. One of those teams that's really going to challenge teams like Portland, teams like uh, the Lakers, teams like Houston in that first and second round. They could potentially be a top three seed in the West, could the Utah Jazz. They're really going to be a fun team to watch. I can't wait to see uh, how good they are this year. Uh, Number five, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, The reigning, oh no, that's not true. I was going to say the reigning number one seed in the Western Conference. That's not true. They were the two seed last year. Um, They were destined to lose. They were never making the finals were the Denver Nuggets. Never. It was their first real taste of postseason basketball for Nikola Jokic, for Jamal Murray, the rest of their team. And I do think it was a healthy experience for them because you learn a lot. All, all experience is, is good experience. Whether you win or you lose, just ask Tua Tagovailoa. They lost last year to the Portland Trailblazers in seven games. They really could have gone to the um, excuse me, Western Conference Finals 
And they would have lost that anyway. They weren't, they weren't beating Golden State. But I do think it is a good thing. They're only going to get better. They retain essentially their entire team. Nikola Jokic, one of my favorite players in all of basketball, along with Jamal Murray. They're only going to get better this year. I have them at number five. But again, similar, similar to the Portland Trailblazers. It's hard for me to consider them legitimate title contenders in the sense that they're going to win the West or they have a good chance of winning the West. Now, so then why do I have them above the Utah Jazz? Well, here's why. Nikola Jokic. Of those two teams, you're looking at the Jazz and the Nuggets. There's only one player that has a chance to insert himself into MVP conversations, and that is the Joker, Nikola Jokic. The Jazz are a very good team. Donovan Mitchell, he's only going to get better. He's very young. What is this, his third, fourth season? He's only going to get better. Maybe one day he will be that go-to, that superstar guy for the Jazz, but he's not there quite yet. I mean, that could be very well this season, but this we have not seen the Jazz play this year. Of the two teams, the Nuggets and the Jazz, only one of them has a superstar, and that is the Nuggets. So I do give them the slight edge over the, of the Utah Jazz. And I do think that pays dividends in postseason basketball. It does pay dividends to have that go-to superstar walking bucket player. It's why the Golden State Warriors have been so unstoppable over the course of the past five years because they were already a good team. And then you add Kevin Durant to that. So anytime you think you're making a run, they insert Kevin Durant, the ultimate luxury, and and they just shoot down any run you're going to make. So I do put the Nuggets at number five, though I do not take them incredibly seriously to win the West and make the finals. Uh, Sorry, Denver. Uh, That's just how I feel. Number four. It may surprise you a little bit. Kind of low here. The Milwaukee Bucks. Now, the Milwaukee Bucks are the favorite for a lot of people to win the East and go to the finals. And I do see why. I do understand why the Bucks are so high on everyone else's radar. They have the reigning MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. But here's why I have them at number four. And number four is really not a bad draw. I mean, everyone has them, you know, really one, two, or three. And so for me to have them at four is like blasphemous. But here's why. The Malcolm Brogdon loss is bigger than everyone is giving that move credit for. When Malcolm Brogdon went out, when he was injured this year for the Milwaukee Bucks, they were not the same Bucks team that they were in the regular season. They were dominant in the regular season, and it looked like they were just going to make a run to the finals, and they were on a collision course to face the Golden State Warriors. Malcolm Brogdon goes down. They're not the same team. They bring him back, and they still really couldn't get things going. They lose four straight to the Toronto Raptors. Even still had them down two zip. And then Kawhi Leonard happened. It happened to everyone. Um, I think that, Mal- Mal- that, excuse me, that Malcolm Brogdon leaving Milwaukee is going to have a longer lasting effect than more people are giving that, or than more people are paying attention to. And also, by the way, don't forget, they lose Nikola Mirotic. Now, he's not a stud player, but what made Milwaukee so dangerous it, uh, was their depth and their ability to score from multiple people. It wasn't just Giannis Antetokounmpo. It was Malcolm Brogdon. It was Eric Bledsoe. It was, uh, excuse me, Nikola Mirotic was adding. He was uh, hitting some shots for them as well. Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton. They had multiple scoring options. And now you take away two of those. It, it, it's going to affect Milwaukee. And they're still going to be very good. This isn't the death sentence for the Bucks, but I do think it's going to affect them for this season. I have them there at number four overall in my power rankings. Now number three, and here's where things start to really get interesting because we're talking about the big dogs in the league. The Los Angeles Lakers. You knew I was going to say Lakers or Clippers. No. Um, 
The Lakers, number three. This is kind of somewhat of an unfair seeding, I would say. Because I have them at number three, meaning I do take them seriously as title contenders, but I don't think for one second they're going to be the three seed in the West. And the reason I say that is because they're going to have growing pains. All LeBron James is led teams have these growing pains. They struggle out of the gate. It always happens. Mark my words, they're going to come out and they're probably going to have a losing record. They're probably going to be 8-10 and 10 or something like that to start the season. And we're going to be saying, what is wrong with the Lakers? Is Anthony Davis going to stay here? Is LeBron too old? This, that, and the other. Then they're going to kick it into gear and they'll probably end up something like 20-12 and 12, like right after that. And then uh, they end up struggling right before the All-Star break. It always happens. The All-Star break is the fountain of youth for LeBron James because it usually... He pushes, or not he himself, not putting any of this on LeBron, but usually the teams that he's on reach very close to their breaking point right around January and February. They get the week off. Everyone gets a a chance to visit their families, get some rest, uh, rejuvenate, and then they go on a run and they start getting hot around uh, March, April, May into the playoffs, and LeBron James does what LeBron James does in the postseason. So I do take them serious as title contenders. Can they win the West Absolutely, and it's not just LeBron. They add, obviously, Anthony Davis. Uh, The surrounding cast around them will be vital. They will have to give them solid minutes, specifically Danny Green, uh, Quinn Cook, and really Kyle Kuzma. They're going to need the shooting and scoring from those three players um, if the Lakers are going to be serious title contenders. But the reason I have them at number three is because of LeBron James. If they get into the playoffs, they are going deep, and they are going to be they are going to be one of the most deadly teams in the playoffs because of LeBron James. He's one of the greatest postseason players of all time. He went to eight straight finals. Or was it eight straight? Or was it six straight? He went to a lot of finals in a row, more than any one of us put together. He went to a lot of finals. Hashtag hot take. He's LeBron James. I'm not counting out the Lakers in the, in the postseason. And they may very well be the sixth seed, quite honestly, just because of those growing pains and the games that they're going to drop you know, the chemistry's not there. Uh, guys get into foul trouble. You know, this, that, and the, they're going to lose games in the regular season. But in the postseason, LeBron James figures out a way to bring everything together. I have them there at number three, which I think is high for the Lakers. But I'm looking at the entire season as a whole. Big picture. When they get into the postseason, they're going to be dangerous and legitimate threats to win the whole thing. Number two, the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they're the best team in the East. Um, after Toronto is now out of the running. Boston, um, I think, is... Well, I have them at number eight. I don't think they're as good as, as Philadelphia. Um, who else do I have there in the East? Oh, the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the 76ers have a more talented roster with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, um, and then the rest of their... And they add Al Horford. That's a big... Key one of the moves that people just really aren't paying attention to is uh, the signing of Al Horford. The one guy who's been able to stop Joel Embiid in the East throughout his career has been Al Horford. So you take that roadblock now out of the equation by acquiring him on your team. You now guarantee Joel Embiid will not be guarded by Al Horford in the playoffs. I don't know who's stopping Joel Embiid in the playoffs if not for Al Horford. So I do think that move in itself is is a huge plus for the Philadelphia 76ers. And Al Horford, really one of the most underrated players in the league. He, he, he does everything. He can shoot a little bit. He protects the rim. He rebounds, plays defense. 
He could score on the low post. Al Horford is going to. And then he's, he's the adult in the room. He's going to be the backbone and the spine of this team. The adult, the men, not, sort of mentor role for these Philadelphia 76ers. He has a postseason experience, as do the rest of the team. I mean, the Sixers have been in the playoffs the last two years. It's not like this is their first go-around. But he's only going to make them so much better. Philadelphia 76ers at number two. And number one, spoiler, the Los Angeles Clippers. Said when they signed Paul, uh, excuse me, Kawhi Leonard and traded for Paul George, this is the best team in basketball, top to bottom. They keep what was the best bench in basketball from last year. They bring that now to this season. They add Kawhi Leonard. They add Paul George while retaining that bench. They give away worthless draft picks uh, in exchange for Paul George. This team is going to be a nightmare and should be the favorites to win the title. Anything short of a championship for the LA Clippers is a disappointment and it would be confusing. I don't see how, I don't see a, a, a real weakness for this team because they have the scoring off the bench. So you can't tell me if someone gets hurt, they're, they're done for. And not true because their bench is so deep. They have guys like Lou Williams coming off the bench, one of the greatest six men in the history of the game. They have Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he can take nights off now because he can defer to Paul George. Paul George. Uh, you know, vice versa, can take nights off and hand the keys over to Kawhi Leonard. And when they're both playing together, I don't know how you score more than 80 points on this team with the defensive length and prowess that they're going to have. They have Doc Rivers uh, as their head coach, Jerry West is as an executive, and they're only going to get better because come trade deadline, usually these teams that are going to make a run at the title go all in. This team might get better come February. We don't know. Only time will tell, but I do have the Los Angeles Clippers at number one. Now, the team that's not in the top 10, you may have already noticed, the Golden State Warriors. No, I do not have them in my top 10 power rankings. I think they are going to suffer um, the losses of Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. Stephen Curry is a fantastic player, and I have no doubts of his ability to run a team on his own. What I do have doubts in is his ability to run a team for the course of 82 games. And that's what the Golden State Warriors are going to require from Stephen Curry, seeing as though their other two scoring options are they're not available. Kevin Durant's across the country, and Klay Thompson, is uh, he's out of commission for the time being. And they added D'Angelo Russell. Sure, that's going to that's gonna help give, uh, take some load off of Stephen Curry. But Draymond Green is not your secondary scoring option. And if he is, you have a serious problem. And he's not going to be. D'Angelo Russell will be the number two scoring option. Uh, how will they coexist? D'Angelo Russell, Stephen Curry, do I think it will be a disaster? No, because they have Steve Curry and he'll figure something out. He's one of the masterminds of controlling locker rooms and you know keeping things uh, well-knit. That poor guy, had a, he's got a more stressful job than, than being the president of the United States. Maybe. I don't know. The president of the United States causes a lot of stress for everyone else, but that's besides the point. Steve Kerr does a fantastic job of managing locker rooms and managing um, player egos, so to speak. So I don't think it will explode, but I, they're, they're not the Golden State Warriors anymore. They're not this unbeatable juggernaut. Will they make the playoffs? TBD. If you ask me personally, Stephen, do you think the Warriors will make the playoffs? I would say yes as a 7 or 8 seed at best. It's going to be incredibly tough for them. I don't have them as, as a top 10 team. They are not a title contender for the season. If you think the Warriors are going to make the playoffs comfortably 4, 5, 6, and up, or down, I guess, however you want to count the number line, 
Um, that's just you giving them the benefit of the doubt. It's giving them the Patriot ticket, right? Well, they're the Warriors, so they should get things done. It's not the case because the Patriots retain all their players and they recycle players you never heard of and they turn them into superstars. You can't do that in basketball. You need the star power, um, and it's not up to one guy, um, Tom Brady. He has a fantastic supporting cast. Stephen Curry was never up to just him. He had Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, the whole, the whole cast, the whole crew. That he's going to be without that this year. Can it? Can he be durable enough to play an entire NBA season? I would say no, because his history has 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 not shown that. He has not proven to be a Iron Man like Clay Thompson, right? I mean, just like he's not Derrick Rose injury prone, but I can't remember the last time he played an entire season. I don't think that's ever happened. So those are my pow- my top ten. Way too early power rankings. For the NBA, now time for the quote of the week. We do this every single week. It's the last segment of the show. We find the best quote that I heard from the previous week. We put it at the end of the show, and we like to call it the quote of the week. It's very creative, I know. So here we go. Quote of the week. We got a pretty good one. We got a spicy one this week. Quote, controversy follows wherever he goes. Jim Harbaugh on Urban Meyer's coaching uh, legacy, I guess, really. So he was asked about Urban Meyer and what he meant um, to Jim Harbaugh. Well, not what he meant to Jim Harbaugh, but what I guess what does Jim Harbaugh think of Urban Meyer? And this wasn't the entire quote. I didn't want to use the entire quote because he literally says Urban Meyer and then it's a dead giveaway. I wanted to have some sort of surprise. Uh, he says Urban Meyer is a fantastic coach. He has a great record. Everywhere he goes, he wins. Then he follows up by saying, but everywhere else he goes, controversy follows, which is technically true. But this is it's a pretty spicy comment from Jim Harbaugh. Now that Urban Meyer is gone... Now this comes out, which is kind of interesting. Urban Meyer no longer the coach for Ohio State uh, University. It's now Ryan O'Day, if I am uh, not mistaken. Maybe just be Ryan Day. I added the O for no reason. Uh, not the point, though. Um, Jim Harbaugh elected to stay at Michigan. There were rumors that potentially he could go to the NFL. He could return to the NFL. He has not gotten to the playoffs since his return to Michigan. He has not won the Big Ten, and he has also not beaten Ohio State yet in his uh, coaching career at Michigan. I think he stayed at Michigan because he feels he can beat Ohio State without Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer uh, is one of the great college coaches ever. As Jim Harbaugh said, he has won everywhere he has gone, including Ohio State. And Jim Harbaugh has not able to be, has not been able to eclipse urban meyer to this point yet and really not even not ever because urban meyer is not if he does come back he's not coming to ohio state you've heard rumblings of usc uh possibly notre dame next season after taking this year off and we don't even know that's just us putting that on urban meyer urban meyer might be done with all this he might really want to focus on his health and enjoy just being a broadcaster he'll be on uh, fox sports college coverage it's going to be him matt liner reggie bush i can't wait to watch that but he might, he might be done with coaching, and we're just trying to force him to get back into the game because he's so great. Urban Meyer is so great. We want to see what he can do to these programs. Can he revive Notre Dame and be what they were in the 80s, the classic, you know, the Golden Domers? Can they bring that back? Can he resurrect USC, who has fallen down repeatedly since the exit of Pete Carroll? They'd never rebounded, and now Clay Helton is on. He's probably the hottest seat in the country this season. And if they don't, anything short of really winning the Pac-12, I feel like Clay Helton will likely be fired and USC will go after Urban Meyer. Back to Jim Harbaugh. 
I think he feels he can win without Urban Meyer. I th- I think he doesn't even know who he doesn't know Ryan's day Ryan O'Day's name more than I do. He feels like the door is wide open for Michigan, so I think he feels a little bit emboldened to make these comments now that the roadblock Ohio State is out of the equation. I don't feel like he's concerned with Penn State. He's not concerned with Wisconsin, and least of all Ohio State. I think Jim Harbaugh feels like Michigan is the favorites not only to win the Big Ten, but to win the national title in Jim Harbaugh's eyes. And this makes things very interesting Um, as far as him waiting to make these comments after Urban Meyer retires. It's a little bit shady on Jim Harbaugh's part. I'm not going to lie about that. I don't... The timing is very interesting, and I'm not a fan particularly of it. Jim Harbaugh, he didn't do this on accident. This wasn't a coincidence. Like I said, I do feel he chose to stay at Michigan because he wants to win at least one. He wants to get at least two the college football playoff before he leaves. And then I do think he will return to the NFL. And after these com- uh, comments, if Urban Meyer is to return to college football, this kind of leans towards him going back, or not going back, but going to Notre Dame because Notre Dame has a split schedule. They play teams from the Big Ten and they play teams from the ACC, likely to play Michigan. That will take us to the end of the episode this week. I appreciate you guys stopping by a a day later than usual. Uh, I hope you enjoy all your weekends. Enjoy some, um, some some regular season baseball. Next week we will have an MLB trade deadline. Maybe not special, but we will have some trade deadline coverage. Uh, the trade deadline is July 31st. Next week's episode would be the 25th. And then we would have the ensuing episode, August 2nd, excuse me, August 1st, uh, recapping what happened the day before in the MLB trade deadline. So we have that to look forward to over the course of the next two weeks. In the course of the next six weeks, we have our one-year anniversary and the college football preview. So football right around the corner, cannot wait. It is incredibly hot in my downtown metropolitan recording studio, so I will talk to you next week.